I've been reminded to encourage you to watch this service all the way to the end of the announcements. We'll be showing a special presentation about our plans to reopen for public worship in a couple of weeks, and I think you'll find it helpful to watch that. Let's uh, turn in God's Word to John chapter 17. John 17, I'll be reading for us from verse 9 through verse 19. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are, we're working our way through a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17. And we're doing this so that we can talk about different aspects of the Christian life that we want to see emphasized in our church. Last week, I, I talked about how we desire to be a congregation in which everyone is growing in their knowledge of God, a church where every one of us has a relationship with God, a genuine relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, and where every one of us is growing in our relationship with God by meeting with God and, 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 uh, and getting to know God in His Word. But in, in addition to being people who know God, we also want to be people who live for God. We, we long to be a church of people whose lives in this world reflect the relationship that we have with Christ. And, and that's something that Jesus prays for in this, this section of his prayer. He prays to his Father that the Father will empower those who are following Jesus to live God-honoring lives in this world. Now, uh, to, to understand that, I think it's helpful for us to think about three statements that describe the relationship between Christians and the world that we live in. Three, three statements that describe that. And, and I would put it this way. As, as followers of Christ, we are placed in the world. All right. Secondly, we are to be different from the world. And then finally, we are sent to the world. You, so you could say we are in the world, but we are not of the world, and yet we are sent to the world. That's what you see in this part of John 17. So first, you'll notice that Christians have been placed in the world. Jesus prayed this prayer at the Last Supper, the evening before he was to be crucified. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would be raised. And he knew that a few weeks later, he would ascend to the Father. 
verse uh, 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, that is my followers, are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. In other words, when, when Jesus went to heaven, he didn't take us with him. He, he, left, he left us as his followers here in the world. Verse 15, he says that he wants it that way. He says, uh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. <laughs> Leave them here, Father. My prayer is not that you take them out, but that you protect them from the evil one. So we have been placed, for, for this season of redemptive history, God has placed the followers of Christ in this world. Now, here's what makes that challenging. In verse 14, you probably noticed this. Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now, what, what, is this, what does this mean, we're not of the world? Well, in, in the New Testament, the Greek word that is translated world, it's the word cosmos, this is a word that has different meanings depending on its context. Sometimes this, this word uh, cosmos is just referring to the, the physical world that we live in, the planet, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, the oceans, the, the, the planet, the, the creation that God loves. Sometimes it just means that. Sometimes the, the word cosmos or world, it's, it's referring to human beings, people in the world whom God loves. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He's talking about people. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So sometimes the word, it's it, world, it, it's referring to the planet. Sometimes it's talking uh, about people whom, who are loved by God. But sometimes, as here in John 17, verse 14, the word world is referring to cultures and systems of fallen humanity that are arrayed together in opposition to the kingdom of God. Let me repeat that. It's referring here to cultures and systems of, of fallen humanity arrayed together un, under the influence of the evil one in opposition to God. You, you'll often hear the word world used this way. Uh, for example, 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 1 John 5, verse 19. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So in all of those verses, that the word world is being used to refer to systems of fallen, sinful humanity that are opposed to the values and the goals of God's kingdom, all right? And guys, that's where we live. We've been placed, listen, we have been placed in a culture that in many, many ways is opposed, directly opposed to the things of God. And it's not just us, this, this has been true for every Christian man, every Christian woman who has ever lived in any part of the world throughout all of history. Uh, here's what Jesus said to his followers in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, keep in mind, he says, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. 
That is why the world hates you. So listen, um, that's our reality, okay? Like it or not, until, until Jesus comes back, followers of Christ, Christians, have been assigned by God to live in a cultural context that is opposed to God's kingdom. We are placed in the world. Now, second point, we are to be different from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, verse, verse 15, Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it, verse 17. Sanctify them. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, in this context, the word sanctify, it means to be set apart as holy, to be set apart as sacred for the purposes of God. And so Jesus here, he's praying to the Father. He's saying, Father, my people, they, they live in a dark and dirty world, but I, I want them to be set apart as sacred, set apart as holy for your purposes. This, we read about this throughout Scripture. Paul wrote about this in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. He said that as Christians, we are, quote, to be blameless and pure children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we are to shine as lights in the world. So, um, in other words, um, we're, we're in the world, but uh, in a certain sense, we are not supposed to fit in here. We're, we are, we're not supposed to be like everyone else. If, if we're truly following Christ, our goals, our values, our standards for living, they will be different from the culture around us. We won't fit in. We won't fit in on the right. We won't fit in on the left. We won't fit in with this party. We won't fit in with that party. We will just, be, if we're living for Christ, listen, if we're living for Christ, we'll be different. We will have to march to the beat of a different drummer. Our goals, our values, our standards, rather than being shaped by the world, will need to be shaped by what? By the word. By God's word. Jesus says in, in verse 17, he says, sanctify them. How? By the truth. Your word is truth. Over a hundred years ago, an Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle, he wrote these words. He said, the rule of the bulk of mankind is to go with the flow, to do as others do, to keep in step with the common opinion, to set your watch by the town clock. But, he wrote, the true Christian will never be content with such a rule as that. The true Christian will simply ask, what saith the scripture? What is written in the word of God? He, he or she will maintain firmly that nothing can be right which God says is wrong, and that the customs and opinions of our neighbors can never make that to be a trifle which God calls serious, or make that to be no sin which Jesus calls sin. Well, we, we will need to learn sometimes just to live very different kinds of lives because uh, we're not being guided by the, by the mores and the values of the society around us. Rather, we're, we're, we're following what God has revealed to us in his word. A couple years ago, I read a, a diary, a journal of a man who really endeavored to live that way, a Christian man named John Woolman. This is the book, John Woolman's Journal. Uh, John Woolman was a Quaker 
who was born in colonial New Jersey in the year 1720. And when he was a young man, 21 years old, he got a job working as a clerk for a local merchant. He would help with the books and writing out receipts and, and, and such things like that. And uh, one day his boss came to him and asked him to write out a bill of sale which is something he would often do. He would write out, you know, the sale of certain goods and, and, and make a receipt for it. But this was different. He was asked to write out the bill of sale for a human being. His, his boss was selling a woman, an African woman, that the boss owned as a slave. And the, the minute he was asked to do this, John Woolman just, just felt something inside. You know how it is as a Christian when you've been trained, when you've been trained by the word and the spirit is in you, sometimes you just feel like this is not right. And so he just felt, I can't do this. But then he began to rationalize. You know how you do. He thought, you know what? It's not like I'm buying the slave. It is my job. I promised to, to work for this man. And, and after all, the person who was purchasing the slave was actually a member of Woolman's church. He thought, you know, I, I guess I'll, at least I'll tell them I don't feel good about it and that, that will make it okay, but I'll go ahead and write this. And so he, he told his boss he didn't feel good about it, but he went ahead and he wrote out the bill of sale. And when he went home that day, this 21-year-old man was just ripped in half. His conscience just wouldn't let him rest. He thought, I, I, I never, ever should have participated in something that's so dishonoring to God. And he made a vow, never again, never again, would he be complicit in this evil practice of slavery. Well, you know what happened. Um, not, not long after that, somebody else came to him. Can you write up a bill of sale? I'm, I'm selling a slave. I'm purchasing a slave. And even though, listen, even though even other Christians, members of his church thought this was okay, had to take a stand. He said, no, I will not be involved in this. I will not conform to the world. Well, Woolman left that job and he, and, he, and he became a tailor. He opened up his own business and, you know, uh, he, he would make clothing for people and sell it. And, and the fashion in those days was to wear brightly, brightly colored clothing made from brightly colored cloth. And that was the kind of, that was the kind of clothing that, uh, that Woolman made until he learned that the dye that was used to make that brightly colored cloth was uh, produced by slave labor in the Caribbean, and that the slaves who had to make that dye were actually exposed to very dangerous chemicals that put their lives at risk. And he just said, never again. I will never wear bright clothing again. I will never sell bright clothing. Imagine what that did to his business. As he began to study uh, the systems of this world, and if you're going to be keep from being conformed to the world, you have to think about systemically how, how does evil work in the world. He began to study global economics, and he began to realize that the tea that he was drinking, the sugar he put in the tree, the, the tea, the silver of his teapot, the rum that he put in his cakes, all of this was produced by slave labor. And he just said to himself, as best as I I can me and my family we will not be complicit we will not buy those those products well uh, as a Quaker Quakers don't have ordained clergy they have lay preachers and 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 John Woolman became a, a lay preacher he would travel around teach people the word of God he was he, he, people invited him to travel all over the place and, and but sometimes he would arrive uh, to, to preach in a church and he would find out that he was to be housed in the in the very comfortable home of a wealthy member of that church, and he would see that that wealthy person owned slaves. Kind of bothered him. For a while, he went along with it. And then he realized, I can't, I can't, 
I can't do this anymore. I can't, I, I can't sleep here in comfort in a home built by, by, by slave labor while slaves are in the slave quarters. So he would just very politely decline and say, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll sleep in the barn. I'll, I'll sleep in the slave quarters. I just, I can't do it. People thought he was crazy. It offended them. He, he also would ride his horse. You know, he would travel hundreds of miles. He would ride his horse and, and come into the place to preach. And, and, and as he rode in, he would just see the slaves standing in the mud by the side of the road, realizing that he had a horse because of his privilege and that they would never ride. And he thought, I just can't, I can't humiliate these dear people made in the, the, the image of God by riding in while they're standing there. So he refused ever to ride a horse again. He would walk hundreds of miles to do this. So th th this is the way, this one man, John Woolman, this is the way he decided to live his life. John Woolman died. He died in 1772 at the age of 52 years old. And when John Woolman died, basically nothing in his world had changed. The, the African slave trade was still booming. Every year, thousands upon thousands of African men and women would be ripped from their homes and transported to, to the new, new world. There was still all kinds of economic injustice and, and oppression taking place in, in the colonies. The world hadn't changed. And you can imagine, when, when Woolman was, was dying, you can imagine, what if somebody had said to him, Woolman, you are such a fool. Look at you. you. You wasted your life. You deprived yourself of, of prosperity and comfort. You lost friends. People thought you were crazy. You, 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 you people rejected you. You, you. you did all this. You wasted your life, and the world has not changed one bit. What do you think Woolman would have said to that? I don't know, but I think he would have said, the world hasn't changed. I wasn't trying to change the world. It's not my job to change the world. Jesus is coming back. He'll take care of that. I, I think he would have said, I wasn't trying to change the world. I was just trying to keep the world from changing me. You see, I belong to Jesus. Jesus is my king. I follow his orders. I, I live for his kingdom, not for the world. Now, listen. All right. That was in the 1700s. We live in a very, very different time. The issues that we're facing are not, not quite the same. But would you agree with me? We still live, we still live in the same fallen world that Christians have lived in for centuries. And, and, and we're still called to live for the glory of the same king. So this will mean that you and I, to live for Christ, we're going to have to still ask the same kinds of questions, like uh, questions like this. Where, where do... Where do the values and the practices and the teachings of our society differ from the Word of God? Or in, in what ways is the world slowly trying to squeeze us into its mold? Or what, where, where do we see churches in our country gradually beginning to conform to the, the prevailing culture? We, see, we, we have to ask these kinds of questions. And when we ask them, oh my, we are going to have to pray for fortitude. Why? Because it's not easy to take a stand for Christ. And we're just going to have to say, God, would you please help us just to accept the fact that we're going to be different and not be ashamed to be different. James wrote in James 4, verse 4, Do, do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy. Of God. So, uh, what, what can you say about living for Christ in this world? Well, we are in the world, but we're not of the world.
And yet, we are sent to the world. The, the, the Christian solution for the, the negative influence of the godless culture around us, the Christian solution to that is not to hide in the closet. It's not to shut ourselves off from others. It's not, it's not to you know, barricade the doors and keep people away. Look what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Now listen, uh, do, do you know this? The Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by the Father into this world. Why? He was sent here to give up his life, to die on the cross, so that lost, broken, dying people like me, like you, so that we can receive grace and forgiveness and life from the Father. That's why Jesus came. John, John 3 verse 17 says this. It says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, no, but to save the world through him. Jesus said in Mark 10 45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's why Jesus came. If, if, listen, if you don't know Christ, I, I want you to know this. Jesus came to this world because he, listen, because he loves you and he is offering you a, a newness of life and, and favor with the Father and forgiveness from God and assurance of eternity with him. If you'll just trust in him, he died on the cross for you. That's why he came. Turn to him today, receive all of this. That's why he came. But verse 18 here is telling us that in a certain sense, we have been sent on a similar mission. We've been sent into the world on a mission that parallels the mission of Christ. As Jesus said, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are sent to die on the cross to atone for people's sins. Jesus alone could do that, and that's what he did. But it does mean that we have been sent we have been sent to our neighbors, we've been sent to our family, we've been sent to our co-workers, we've been sent to this, this neighborhood to, to share the best world, the world, the best news the world has ever heard. That, that, that life and forgiveness and salvation are offered to anyone and everyone who'll come to Christ. We've been sent to share that message. And we've been sent to demonstrate, to put into action the love of God Listen, through acts of mercy and service to the world. The, yesterday I received this, this report that just thrilled me about our church. I hope this makes you happy about our church. When COVID struck and everything shut down uh, last spring, um, our diaconate uh, organized uh, those from the church who, who had the time and, and the health to, to help in this way, a team called the Healthy Helps Team, all right? And since early April, 30 volunteers from our church have helped, have served our community with over 753 unique visits, delivering food to households that needed it, shopping for groceries for those who couldn't go out, volunteering to work hours in a, in a, a food pantry, uh, accompanying people on their trips to the doctor, delivering masks to people who didn't have them, doing laundry runs for people who were sick and couldn't wash their clothes, decluttering and cleaning people's apartments, assisting with health care and first aid, helping people move. It just demonstrating God's love for this world through our actions. And that's, listen, that's part of what it means to live for Christ in this world. That's what God was talking about through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, or 58, 
verse 6 through 8. This is what God said. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? In other words, isn't, isn't this the kind of religion I'm looking for? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then God says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So, living for Christ, listen. We have been placed in a world that, in a certain sense, hates God. We're not going to fit in here. This is a world that hates God. But this is a world filled with people whom God loves. People God loves, right? And he has sent us to share his love, the message of Christ, and and the motions of, of Christian love to them. Now, Someone might say, well, if that's what God wants to do, if he wants us to reach the world, this whole idea of us being different and not fitting in, that's going to be counterproductive. Counterproductive. That's not going to help. If we, if we really want to reach the world, we have to gain a hearing with the world. We have to show that we're relevant. We have to show that we're cool. We have to show that we're just like them. So this idea of being different, that's not going to help. That's what you might think. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if, he said, you are the salt of the earth. He was talking to his followers. He's talking to you and me. You are the salt of the earth. And he said, if the salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if it just tastes like everything else around it, he said, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by people. So, so believe it or not, Standing out as different from the world actually enhances our mission to the world. I mean, if you think about it, why, why, why would the world want to listen to us if our message sounds like everyone else's? There, there needs to be something different. Now, um, I told you about John Woolman. I didn't tell you the whole story. Um, so John Woolman, was, he was a Quaker, all right? And uh, you may know, some of you might, that in the 1800s, um, Quakers in this country were kind of, they were front and center in the, in the movement to abolish slavery. The, Qua- the Quakers were very instrumental in, in the work of God in our country to free us from the evil of, of, of uh, slavery that was taking place. In fact, um, you've heard perhaps of the, um, the Underground Railroad. Many of the stops on the Underground Railroad where the farms and the homes were escaped, escaping slaves were hid so they could make their way to freedom. Many of those were Quaker homes. These, these were uh, just Christian men and women who really gave their lives to, to live for this cause. In the 1800s, it was that way. But in the 1700s, when John Woolman was alive, Quakers were not like that at all. Many, many wealthy Quakers were involved as, as, um, as um, ship owners. They were involved in the slave trade. As farmers, they owned slaves. They were, they were basically like anyone else. So the question is, what happened? How, how did this, this cluster of churches become central to God's purpose for this country? I, I, most historians trace it to one man, one Christian. John Woolman, who just said in his generation, I don't 
care if everyone thinks I'm the biggest weirdo. I don't care if I lose every friend I ever have. I don't care if this costs me all of my money and I lose everything. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And it was the influence of that one man standing up and living for Christ in this world that changed his church and God used his church, this, this Christian tradition, the Quakers, to help change the world. And guys, listen, in a small way, I, I believe that's what God can do through us. So ACC, we are in the world, all right? Like it or not, but we're not of the world. We are to be different. We're in the world. We're not of the world. Yet we are sent to this world with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, the assignment you've given us to live for Christ in this world is far bigger than we can do in our own strength. We are weak and we are uh, cowardly and we are sinful. And so I just thank you that Jesus prayed for us. He prayed that you would keep us safe. He prayed that you would sanctify us by your word. And so I pray as I add my prayer to the prayer of Christ that you would do that for us at ACC, that you would, that you would help us to love the city the neighborhood where you've placed us, but you would help us to see ways that the world tries to shape us that's contrary to your word and that you would give us valor and grace to live for Jesus Christ and to do this for your glory. In his name, amen.